I'd like to begin by acknowledging the traditional owners of the land on which I create today, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, and pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging. You can only give someone what they need when you have first-hand experience, experience of it. Because especially when they're sick and you know it's coming and you think, okay, well, then they passed away and they're not in pain anymore and we'll have the funeral and then you kind of move on. It's not like that. It's no. the most earth-shattering pain that never leaves you. And parents are supposed to die. This is part of life. Yeah. But as my therapist taught me, you know, 200 years ago, the grandparents lived with you. You had 12 children, but two passed away. The grandparents died in the home. So death was sad, but experienced. And now it's sanitized. We put people in homes. We don't see it. We don't talk about it. And so we're just so unequipped to deal with the one thing that's definitely going to happen. Dearest you... I'll never forget standing in the kitchen at my old apartment with my next guest right before we recorded our first honest conversation for offline. It was late 2018 and she had just published her now infamous infertility series, Treading Water, and I sadly had recently suffered my first miscarriage. We agreed to go wherever the conversation took us and I am so So thankful she trusted me then and continues to now. I never expect the stories and experiences that my guests hold closest to their hearts, but I am always grateful when they gift them to us. This episode is no exception. We really go there on some pieces and while an emotional listen at times, I know we both believe so necessary to bring the context and complexity to lives that otherwise look kind of perfect and pain-free from the outside. Lee Campbell is, quite simply, a firecracker. Smart, witty, strategic, honest. She is the beauty expert many of us have come to rely on. And four years on from that first chat, She's now also the proud co-founder of her business baby, Brillo Beauty. We recorded this one on my lounge at home and it was so wonderful to be with her in person again after what has felt like years of just staying in touch as friends on Instagram. We hope you love our chat and know ultimately that you'll hold us in our shares. Some are sweet, some are silly, some are brave, Some honestly act as an example of our privilege, and some are so raw that they make us want to take them back. Here's my smart and engaging friend, Lee Campbell, for Offline. So we just tried not to have the entire conversation before we hit record. <laughs> I know. Um, so I feel like we're kind of going to bring most of it 
to this because we haven't really had a pre-chat. We haven't had a pre-chat, which is good. We tr- we almost did. And we haven't spoken really properly in a long time. No, it's all been DMs, which is nice, but you can't connect. And just following each other's story on Instagram. And that's the thing is I do feel like I know what's happening in your yeah, life. Yeah, but do you know? But do I know? Yes. Um, but first of all, how are we feeling post Oh, I had the most amazing holiday. I went um, in November to Singapore and the Maldives, not the Maldives, which I was saying before I was educated (laughs) on the Maldives. Uh, Look, it was amazing. It was the most incredible trip. Um, My personality type, I've got ADHD and I don't like to relax. So it took me two or three days to relax. I relaxed for a day and then I wanted to come home, <laughs> which is just, I love routine. I'm very- What does Rich say in those moments? Well, look, Rich is relaxed. Like he's relaxation in a person and he also <laughs> loves laying out in the sun. I don't sunbake and I just want to do stuff. So I worked most of the time, but also from paradise. So obviously not complaining, but yeah, we're very yin and yang like that. I love my routine. I'm highly anxious. I like knowing what's next. I do not go with a flow. So, so what time's lunch? Yeah, exactly. And what do you mean? And how do we get from there? And oh, but there's a delay. I can't handle that. Anyway, amazing. I, I feel tired, but I had the best time. Mm. I've been once before in kind of the glory days of us getting press trips, Tony yes, and I. Yes, remember that. So as you know, he works on Qantas magazine and my beautiful man, um, He's been winning all these lovely awards and stuff lately. God love him. He's one of the most beautiful sold. I mean, he's a hottie, but he's got the most gorgeous soul. He's a kind, kind man. He is. Um, But there were years there where, I mean, some through my work, but mostly through him, we were getting these really gnarly trips and the Maldives Mm. was one of them. And it's kind of unbelievable when you're there. Yes. I loved on Instagram your, um, how do we navigate this? You're like semi-gifted. Yes. You kind of have to make up language because it's like how do do. I explain that like I am actually paying for probably most of this. Yes. And I think that's really important because, you know, people are cracking down on transparency, but I also want people to know exactly what's gifted, exactly what, you know, how things work. So yeah, we were approached because there was a new kids club, but we paid for our own flights and we got a few nights for free, but we're not going to go to the Maldives for a couple of nights. So we paid for the rest. And I was like, how do I explain? Like, yeah, but it was an amazing trip. I'm so thankful that through my Instagram content creation, I can do things like that. Um, yeah, it was mm-hmm. great. So when we sat down to have our first honest conversation mm. in, I think, 2019. It would have been, yeah. Because yeah. well, I was thinking, were you the end of 2018? Yes, no, I was because I um, was pregnant but didn't know. But didn't know. Because we went out for Marg's after. And um, that was just pre-Christmas because I found out I was pregnant around Christmas time. Okay, so you were the end of 2018. Now And now it's 2023 practically. I know. So this is... Um, 1920, 21. Is this four years? Yes. No. Four. I would have said two, but four years. That's how fast life's going. You published your blog series, Treading Water, about a week before. I remember, I just remember that mm-hmm. we were standing in my kitchen. Either I had wine or you brought wine. Red there wine. There was wine. We yeah. had like a nice organic red, I remember. Of course it was organic. And I remember you saying that you'd published it on, I think, the Tuesday, and I think we were recording on... The Friday or something, which yeah, is it's why we very went out for fresh. burgers after. I wanted to learn what have you learnt that that series 
has kind of become to people. Mm. It's interesting. So, yeah, Rich and I were trying to fall pregnant all the rounds of IVF, called it off. I wrote a, a series called Treading Water about our journey and the fact that we just had decided we wouldn't become parents. Well, my body decided. Um, and, of course, then <laughs> I fell pregnant naturally after all the IVF. Anyway, it blows my mind because that was four years ago and still fortnightly I get a message saying, thank you for treading water. I've just found it or a friend sent it to me. And you know what? It gets a couple of thousand reads a month still um, because I think people wow. are probably just Googling to find find that space because you're so lonely. You go online you're looking for anyone you can Those relate to. forums. Yeah, the forums are bad. <gasps> don't, go on to, don't go on to the what to expect forums and all that jazz. But um, I, yeah, I, I mean, I feel like a fraud because I then did fall pregnant and have it. I what had a child. What did that feel like? Because you had to be the person who was like, yes, but it worked out for me. because the whole thing was like we didn't get a happy ending but we're working on being happy without it and then um, as nature would have it, you know, we went on a very expensive holiday, bought a very expensive white couch thinking it would just be the two of us <laughs> and I came home pregnant. Um. I did feel a disservice to everyone. I felt guilty. I felt like I, I didn't believe I was pregnant until 20 weeks. Um, but it is what it is. What can I do? You I know? was the same. I remember even as my belly got bigger, I still was like, but there's a high chance I won't have this baby. Yes. You know when you kind of talk yourself into a reality where you're like, you think you're going to get it, yeah. but you're I actually I was just literally waiting it. for every appointment. I was like, okay, same. tell me what's wrong. All right, what's, you know. Tell me what's wrong because that, you know, having a bunch of missed miscarriages, which is when you don't bleed but they there's no heartbeat on the scan. Every scan I went to, I was just like, okay, I'm ready. Tell me the news. And, you know, they're like, it's the baby's fine. And then he was born. And I was like, oh, my goodness, I just had a baby. I was the same. <laughs> I was like, so I've definitely got one then. Yeah, I'm holding She's it. on my chest. <laughs> yeah, I know. And it was so special. But, yeah, I'm still glad I wrote the series. I'm still glad it helps people. I hope that people who are still on the journey who don't have the baby don't feel you know, I just, lots of people don't get the happy ending and I'm sorry to those people. Mm. Oh, man, I'm sorry. Mm. Um, you've now got wonderful Alexander. I do. Three and a half year old, absolute maniac, divine <laughs> blessing of my life His that drives me mad. me. When he's, he talks, I'm like. He's got such a deep voice for a toddler. <laughs> and he's so bossy. It's really funny, but wow. He, yeah, I it, I can see why people get to three and a half and go, okay, I'm done with that many kids. <laughs> um, I want to know, and I guess this is kind of broad, but like who is he to you? Because I'm starting to learn who Betty yes. is to me. Yeah, Alexander is me. Um, he is starting to look more and more like Rich, but he's got my personality. He is bossy, impatient, tenacious, but then he's so much of my dad. He's got my dad's big ears, his mannerisms. He, when he watches TV, he picks his nails exactly like my dad did. And the soft side of him is absolutely my dad. And, you know, I can say all that not knowing Rich's family as well. I'm sure there's a lot of, you know, Rich's side in him, but it blow like genetics and, you know, I know, nature versus nurture blows my mind because I just see flashes of little me from videos I've seen and parts of my mum and parts of my dad and parts of my brother. And he's definitely a Campbell in that respect. He's, he's going to be a firecracker. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm in trouble. Is there any distance between the mum you thought you'd be and the mum you are. This is something else oh. I've been exploring for myself. Um, I didn't think about being a mum 
a lot. I thought Is about... Is because you never thought you'd actually have the yeah, baby? Yeah, maybe. I think, you know, I didn't really want kids. Then I met Rich and then I was like, I think I do. And then we couldn't. And so I was so focused on having a baby and him or the baby, but I didn't think a lot about being a mother and that's what's blown my mind, you know, who she is now, who I am now, how I juggle things. I was a very anxious baby mum. I was, you know, red nose, safety check, everything, you know, crazy. But once they get to this age, he's such his own person. I'm much more of a free range parent because... It's interesting. You know, I've got to let him be himself and I've learned through much, you know, through my parenting podcast that you have to let them fall and hurt themselves and feel sadness and feel all of their emotions and you can't fix it all. So I'm more free range than I thought I would be at a toddler stage. My husband's the opposite. He's very cautious and quite strict and that, you know, reflects his rather strict Greek upbringing. But yeah, I'm a more free range. The one thing that I get incredibly anxious about and very stressed about is illness because... Yeah. And this sounds awful, not about him being sick, which of course I worry about, but when it throws life into disarray, because I am such an anxious person, I'm not good with last minute changes, cancelling mm. things, shuffling things, and we all have such busy lives. So that makes me incredibly anxious. Um, but otherwise I'm pretty YOLO, which I didn't think I would be, mm. you know? It's interesting you say this because I'm getting more YOLO. I think because of the way I am, and the way I live my life and the meditating and the work I do, I think I kind of thought you're just going to be this kind of chilling, (laughs) you know what I mean? And I will admit like up until she went to daycare at like 17 months, it was just us literally in these four walls, Mm. incense on, you know, I have my music on. It was very much like that environment. But when I reflect back... Um, the postpartum anxiety mm. and the preg- the parenting anxiety, I was to the nth degree. Mm. Like when I was in it, Do you think it, you I had like, postnatal depression? It wasn't down. Yeah, okay. It was anxious. It was um, highly like vigilant. Yes. To yeah. the point where everything, it, so it was more control. Yeah. Everything had to be a particular way. But even though you're very chill and woo-woo, um, I think you are quite particular Yeah, and you like an energy to be a certain way. And it's just, that's the ride that parenting teaches you. It's that like, you just, it's all going to go differently mm-hmm. and that's fine, but you've got to like learn to be okay with that. Yeah. Cause it's, I think I, cause we're only having one. So I've had, I've done it. You You've done the, yeah, I've done the baby stage. Side now yes. I'm like, oh, that are you, you're not going to all my friends that are trying again now. Yes. That the babies are like Can two I or three. Can I ask why? Are you just happy with one? Oh, it's such a good question. This is my podcast now. We, Alison, <laughs> tell me why. We both come from big families mm. and we both come from a level of poverty. Mm. And I think we both just didn't have a lot mm. and – you want to give her everything that, I think yeah. that's where it comes from. I think it's just that the three of us are, as a family unit, feels really good. That's beautiful. We know we can provide for her without giving her everything. Mm-hmm. That's my other thing. Yes. Is really being aware of, you know, this girl's going to grow up in North Bondi. Yeah. So how do we totally. make sure that she knows where she comes from? And that's so important to, I think, be aware of. Because we are so privileged just because of our geography. Exactly. Mm. Um Sending her to a public school is very deliberate. Yeah. Oh, same. Us. Absolutely. And Actually, I, I still the public argue. The school system is so 
especially in our areas. But Rich and I still argue about this. I went to a private school my whole life. He went to public up until high school and then up until year nine, I think, and then finished at a private school. And he said, Alexander's absolutely going to private school. And I was like, no, he's going to public. I want him to be more exposed to more cultures, more people from different demographics. And I know still in the area, totally. everyone will be relatively affluent just because that's Sydney's eastern suburbs. But I think that's so important because mm. um, I don't want him to go to the public, to the private school in Sydney's eastern suburbs and all his friends have got a Ferrari and he's saving up for his Honda. Mm. You know, I think that's important and I get that. But mm-hmm. you also want the best and you're taught that this is, you know, private school's the best and all of that. Anyway, I'm going on a tangent, but I get it. And you, I this, think is this is the weird the stuff thing. to think about. It's like, like it it imprints and you carry that experience with you for the rest of your yes. life. I was the poor girl mm. in a public school and mm. I think about Betty, I'm like, well, you could be the kind of middle-class girl Mm. in a public school that kind of has what she needs but not too much. Yeah, beautiful. And so every decision I've made has come off the back of that imprinting. Yeah, that's so fascinating. And then you realise, wow, I'm the grown-up now. I'm assessing my own childhood and it's bringing back those memories and how do I want to do things differently or which parts do I want to do the same? And then you're like, oh, I'm the grown-up, I'm the parent. I know. And then I guess the other thing for me is because of the – pregnancy anxiety and the postpartum anxiety, I just don't think I could do it again, to be yeah. honest with you. I just don't think I have it in me. Yeah. And plus, like, I mean, I hope he doesn't mind me saying, Tony's 50 in December mm. next month. Yeah. He's like... He's hot though. Yeah, he's so hot. <laughs> but I get well, it. He's like, gone to the gym now. He's like keeping it. I just keeping it saw tight. those muscles. But <laughs> honestly, as two parents in their 40s with a three-and-a-half-year-old boy... I'm exhausted. I understand now why you get your period at 15 and you're meant to have a baby at 18 and then your second one at 21 is because your energy levels like I am exhausted and I have one child. child. So I get it. Being an older parent is definitely mm-hmm. a factor. I had a really good chat with one of the beautiful educators at daycare and she was like, so Betty's two in January and she said, I just want you to remember that this is the hardest stage. Mm. This is as active as she's ever going to be, yeah. as, you know, kind of cheeky as she's ever going to be. She's testing the boundaries. So mm-hmm. I just don't want you to think, oh, my God. Yes. It's going to be this full on all I the time. I hear from five, they chill out a bit. Okay. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> Boys and girls are quite different, I think, but just the energy, man. Mm. I just. Well, I think because I kind of kept Betty in with, you know, the chance and the incense, she's kind of let loose now. <laughs> yes. She's the kid that's going to go trade her lunch at school. Seriously. You'll, you'll pack like mung bean sandwiches. And she'll come, she'll have 800 roll-ups. That's right, a pie. I <laughs> <laughs> love it. But they said she's the most active. Oh, yeah. And I'm like, of That's course. That's so funny. They said that to Alexander baby? <laughs> at school. They said he's got the most energy out of any kid we've ever seen. I was like, yep, that sounds like me. He's my but son. I'm like, okay, good. Good to know that yeah. she is full on. Yeah, like, it's, yeah not it's not just, just like, you. Yes, you know? yes. Um, so as I was explaining to you before we started recording, the podcast has really um, evolved mm-hmm. into really exploring when we're sitting in our true self, how do we define success? And I want to talk about a move you made that I feel like potentially a lot of women listening might be considering making themselves. Mm. And that is having the job mm-hmm. and then deciding to go part-time mm. after having a baby. Yes, why did you do it? I think we know why, but like, how did you have that conversation with your boss? And I know your situation's unique in the sense that you work in a workplace that advocates for this. Yes. It helps that Mamma Mia is run by mums. Um, 
mostly all women, a lot of working mums. But you're right, you know, being executive editor. Back then the executive editor was quite high up, you know, the boss of sort of editorial, not the boss boss, but anyway, I was on the senior leadership team, you know, I was across all moves of the business. And then I had my son. I knew I definitely only wanted to work three days a week. But I had so many direct reports and had I kept all my direct reports, remained on senior leadership team, it was just all management and it wasn't the stuff I loved doing and it wasn't the best use of my time for the company either and it wouldn't have made me happy. So when I came back, I said, I don't want any direct reports mm. and that's... You know when people say to me, I want to be a manager, I'm oh, like, you sure? No, I, I'm not good at it. Mm. If I was good at it and enjoyed it... surprises it, me to hear you say that. No, I'm not good at it. I'm not, I'm not patient... I don't, this sounds awful, but not that I don't care about other people's career progression, but there's so much work to do. It's it's a full-time job. Yeah, it is. And I just wanted to do the creative stuff and it felt like it was a step back. If you look at a resume, you know, removing yourself from senior leadership, removing all your direct reports, but it just wouldn't have made me happy. And I wanted to work hard for those three days doing stuff that I loved flexibility without direct reports. You know, I start my day at about seven, but I finish three or four and I can because my, I'm a, quite an island. Um, I can do my work wherever. And I have that agreement with Mamma Mia. You know, a couple of months ago, I just said, look, I've got so much going on. I do three days a week, but can I do them on a Sunday from Hawaii, you know, yeah. wherever. And, you know, that's the joy of digital. So now I can do my work wherever, whenever they trust me. They're really great like that. But I just couldn't do that nine till five or, you know, eight till seven, five days a week. I mean, of course I could, but I didn't want to. And, you know, knowing that, well, Alexander was our only at that point and still is, but I just wanted to, until he goes to school, have mm. that. The presence. Yeah, I just wanted to have that time with him. I mean, now I just want him to go to daycare for eight <laughs> hours a year. I mean, forever. But, um, yeah, I needed, I wanted to, you know, really jump into motherhood as well. Mm. Do you think you mentioned trust? I just picture all of the women who are like, how do I even sit down with my boss and mm. say, like, I'm still engaged. Yes. I still want to be here, yes. but I just can't give you the totality of me anymore. You know what? I I would have been scared of that pre-motherhood, but I just... There's a courage, isn't there? It's it weird. It just changed me. And luckily my boss is a mum and I just said, I just don't want that and I you know, I want to stay here. So if I stay here, it really kind of needs to look like this. And as a, as a mum, she said, I totally get it. No problem. So I guess it depends on who your manager is, Mm. what your role is. But I think they knew that was what it was going to look like anyway. And I could still bring value to the company in my new, you know, the way my new role looked. And so it just sort of all worked out. I was very lucky, but they're very supportive of that. This is it, isn't it? Yeah. I just think about those people in those traditional corporates. Oh, yeah. But I think of me when I used to see people leave at five and I was like, oh, that's nice for them, or four to go pick up their sick kid or everything's rescheduled because their child's secret school holidays. And I was like, oh, mums get it easy. And now I'm like, oh. I saw that meme going on Instagram yesterday and someone was like, to, to all, the, all of the mums. Yeah, I worked with I'm sorry. before. I'm sorry. Did you post that? Yes, yeah. because it's so true. And, mm. like, I never t- said anything, but I was like, well, why can't I leave at five? And, mm. you know, d- yeah, but. You know our friend Lisa Patulny, mm. she obviously had Elvis, um, I feel like relatively young, which probably wasn't that young, mm. but because I had a staff member having a baby before me, that mm. was a whole other thing. But she was really my first um, the first member of my team that went on mat leave mm. and she had the sickness the whole way through. Yes. So she had a lot of time off. And 
And we had a really brief conversation not that long ago, probably about a year ago, where I kind of said, like, I don't know who I was to you. Yes. And she was like, you were perfect and you were great. And I was like, but was was I? I? It's like with anything, until you have the lived experience, you can't fully understand. And it's the same with grief. I'm sure we'll talk about that in a moment. But until you have firsthand experience, you, you can be kind and understand, but you can't say, I know, Mm. I know, you know? So I already feel nerves in my belly talking to you about the grief thing because I'm like, anyway, we're getting there. I'm building. building. We're building. I know. I put makeup on this morning and I was like, why? I know I'm going to cry it all off. No, I was like, it's a no mascara day for me. (laughs) Um, Your social media presence has obviously increased Mm. tenfold, Mm. hundredfold since we last Well, yeah, I guess four years. I mean, I'm still a relatively small fry, but yeah, I guess so. But I think in terms of the volume of posting. How much, yeah. Yeah, I share a lot more of my life now. Totally. I do. Um, You really are like, me, and I know so many, it's like a bit of a TV channel. I just like (laughs) tune into every (laughs) day. Play up to. (laughs) TV Lee. Um, But what has it been like to, and this is really what I want to get into with you, is you made a very conscious decision to Mm. turn it up. Mm. You know what? It happened during lockdown and it was because I was lonely and I started in my car just chatting to people in the morning or chatting to Instagram in the morning because I was lonely and I craved connection and I've built such an incredible, supportive, funny, smart community on there and I love communicating with these people. So I just started chatting and then people were like, I love your car chats because I never used to do speak to camera. I was terrified of that. You know, my stories were all just still photos and I never really. This is where I am still. Yes. And I think I did speak to camera and then I stopped. Yeah. Well, it's scary. And now, and because I was like, I don't look good. I've got, you know, I'm on my way to the gym. I haven't washed my hair. And that's the stuff people love. Like I just went to the Maldives. Of course, that looks amazing. But if I only show pictures of that and not, you know, my sweaty workout chat, then I'm not really servicing women in, you know, because it's it's all of that. Life is all of that. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, that's when people really started to resonate with it, I think, because they're like, oh, okay, you know, she has this amazing life with lots of freebies and a really cool job, but she's also just normal and goes through infertility and grief and she's tired and mm. blah, blah, blah. And I think that's where I was like, oh, this is cool. This is my space. That's mm-hmm. how I found it. I know I've had this conversation, actually was with Lisa, Um we get very protective of you. Like anytime I see Mm. anyone like trolling or if you share stuff, I really feel very like, fuck them. And I go and I look at their profile. I look them (laughs) up. Oh, mate, if only you knew. There's so many. You know, but But I feel like we have have hold that for you on your behalf Mm. because of course it's always this way, but when you know someone Mm. in person, Mm. I think people are getting honestly like 85, 90% of, the real kind of you and you. More now than before. But there's that other part where I'm like, that's not what she's like. Yeah, it's funny because I still get, when I get to know people or meet people, people will be like, oh, you're really nice. Oh, you're funny. And I'm like, oh, thank you. Because I think, you know, working at Cosmo and having this glamorous job and just posting pretty photos, people can develop an idea of who you are. And I am, like, I'm confident and I, I get it. People don't some people don't like me and then other people get to know me and go oh, okay you're normal and vulnerable and you know whatever mm. but the trolls don't bother me I think that it, okay. you know it used to and now I'm just like 
it's that silly old saying, like it reflects more on where they're at than me. You know, I'm living my happy life. I'm extremely blessed. Everything, you know, I've got everything I want, you know, bar another child and a big house and all that jazz. But really my life looks exactly how I want it to. And I just think that's sad for them, like Mm. to sit on the internet and not like people they've never met Mm. or just, you know, that's a shame for them. Like you've got one life. It's so short, this one life to do everything you want to do. And you sit there on an app and dislike people. Mm -hmm. I find that really unusual. And so now I'm just like, oh, poor them. Off on my day. And I love that. I just think, I always think about your courage because I'm like, I don't know whether I could withstand Mm. that level of It's funny though because the more vulnerable you are, the more courage you get, I I have found, because it started Mm. with treading water. Before that I was just like, here's me at an event, here's me, whatever. And then I was vulnerable about my infertility, my dad's passing, just now my everyday life. And being vulnerable makes you more courageous because you, you know, the feedback that you get and it's just, it's cathartic in Mm. a way. So no, it doesn't bother me. And I also think it's harder for people to critique us when we've shared in that way. Yeah. It's very, you'd have to be a very, very. But people are. Yeah, There's still a lot of. Dark person yeah, to then. but that's their problem. I don't mm. care. I am so happy. So mm. shame for them and they're the 1%, that's you know. That's exactly it, isn't yeah. it? Talk to us about um, the tools that you've learned to move through that stuff. Like I know you're a big advocate for therapy. Yeah, I love my therapist. He's very expensive. So I can't, so I can't <laughs> Are you a man therapist? Yes, yeah. I do. He's fantastic. I found him actually. I have, I've had therapy my whole life on and off, but I found him at seven weeks postpartum. I was diagnosed with postpartum depression and what's called adjustment disorder because I'd gone from this career with direct reports and all this jazz to being on mat leave and my one direct report didn't speak to me and I had no sense of purpose and I'm very, I love a task, I love a deadline and anyway, that's how I found him. My GP did um, whatever that postpartum test is called. Oh, yeah. Um, and then he, I remember him ringing around to find me a psychiatrist and he was like, this woman has severe postpartum depression. She needs to get in immediately. And I was like, oh, do I? Oh, um, this is serious. Yes. And I was like, oh, yeah, I did try to leave my husband last night. Um, <laughs> and he's fantastic. He's really like intellectual in that he helps me understand thought processes. So, yeah, with his help and just I'm 40, I'm old. I don't care anymore. Like, there's say something what you that want. It's, the age does help, doesn't I, it? Yeah, Where you just think. I just don't I've care. had that um, post having Betty with my body. Mm. I could just give zero Same. fucks. It's, it's funny so because I, I follow lots of health and wellness people and it's all like intuitive eating and all of this stuff. And I'm like, oh, all that woo woo crap. And then I'm like, oh, wait, I do that. I think I'm doing that. Yeah. yeah I just eat, eat. When I feel and like I'm it. hungry and I eat what I want and not too much and then I exercise a bit, then I drink and then I don't really care. But it's funny you say that, you know, I've had a full-on last sort of six months and I've lost a bit of weight just through stress and busyness and the amount of people in my DM saying, you look amazing, what are you doing? And I'm like, um, I'm this. so extremely <laughs> stressed that my, uh, my watch, Apple Watch, tells me that I've got an elevated heart rate for the last however long. Um but it's not intentional to look good. It's mm. just living my life. Um, and coming back from the Maldives, I put on four kilos, which was so welcomed because yeah. I just kind of stopped and ate and and all of that jazz. But I just don't care either way. I don't care if it's four kilos less, four kilos more. I want to be happy. I want to be healthy. Yep. Weirdly, when Shane Warne died, that blew my mind because I was like, you're 52, I'm 40. 
I mean, I don't live Shane Warne's life, but I was just like, okay, now at 40, it's about being healthy and yeah. strong, and, strong. Go- and going to the gym because my back hurts, <laughs> not, yeah. not because I want to be hot. Um, yes. And all of that, it kind of, you know, you, you have a mammogram, you have like colon, mm. like it just kicks over to this whole other phase where it's not about what you look like. It's no. just about caring for yourself, which I haven't been good at at the moment, but I need to work mm. on. I think the testing thing is big as you get older. And I think for both of us, because having had terminally ill parents, yes. all of a sudden you find yourselves in rooms find yourself in rooms getting tested for cancer. Yeah. You know, and this yeah. has been a real, I don't know what it's been for me. It's been so humbling. Mm. It's scary. Like well, I had the, a mammogram. The times. Yeah, I had a mammogram a few weeks ago and I went in and they did a bunch of the scans and then you go sit down and they were like, okay, it's, it's okay. We found a mass. We just need to go and, you know, scan that area of your boob again. And you go, okay, cool. And so they scan that again and they go, okay, you go sit in the waiting room. And you're kind of there for four or five hours by the time. And then I had to have a whole bunch of ultrasounds on it. And I was just, you know, my mum wasn't well at the time. Like Rich's father just passed away. And this was all within like 36 hours. And I was like, okay, like, like the, the, that hour in that waiting room. And then they were like, oh, it's okay. It's a cyst. And I was like, oh my God. But I was like, oh, I used to dance on tables at nightclubs and now I'm sitting in a mammogram room. How did that Seriously. happen? <laughs> so I, after, so my mum passed in early August. I'm so sorry. We're not there yet. We're building. <laughs> this is my side story, <laughs> easing my way in, um, to breast cancer. Mm. Um, and, you know, I think we're really similar. I was like, well, I best be getting my test now. Mm-hmm. So I didn't give myself any space between her mm. passing. I think that week. That was probably a bit too soon. Yeah, I went to the doctor and I was like. But that's in both of our personalities. We're doers like that. But I was also like I looked at Betty and I was like if I get it early. Yeah. Because my nana had breast cancer mm. but caught it really early mm. still with us 91. So you've got it in your genes. Well, it's just like it started to feel inevitable. Yeah. Where I was like, well, this is now on my mum's side and I'm going to get it and so if I can get it early. Yeah. And, of course, I went and got the ultrasound and I had this, <laughs> you know, I have this thing where people tell me their life story when I'm definitely not asking for it. Oh, it's my like, God, same, like I'm when you're topless. The bed. Yes, same. <laughs> and she starts telling me about that she's getting divorced and telling me all about her kids and how awful. And so basically it was 45 minutes of her telling me about yes. how awful her husband is. I think they do that to distract you, but you're like, this is not right now. But I wanted to say to her, like, my mum just died of breast cancer. Yes. I'm scared I have breast cancer. I need you just to... Not. <laughs> I can't hold this for you right yes. now. I'm just trying to hold myself together. Yes. But, of course, I was like, oh, that's interesting. Oh, so me being me, like, yes. held her in her story and yeah. then she stopped on a bit, same as you. I was like, mm, we're spending a lot of time in this. Area. Yes, yes. And then she sent me on my way and she was like, all right, we'll just, um, we'll, we'll, you know, send the report to your doctor. And I said, oh, cool, so do I don't need to make a follow-up? She's like, oh, no, you need to make a follow-up. And I was mm. like, oh, why? Great. Why? Yeah. I'm dying. <laughs> I can so relate longest week of my life mm. ended up going to the doctor getting having to get the biopsy mm. on it good weirdly i ran into l ferguson mm. which i never see in mm. bondi and it sounds like such a bondi thing to say but anyway <laughs> we used to live next door to each other we never see each yeah, other yeah you were neighbors and <clears throat> her mum having been through it as well she i don't know how much she spoke about but anyway she went on her own journey with that and I ran into her, and this is the thing, the same with you, is when there's somebody else who's lost a parent, mm. that's when I lose it. Yeah. With other people, I'm like. Because they get it. 
they get it. And she looked at me and she didn't know. And I looked at her and she's like, I'm so sorry. And I said, mm. also, I'm waiting for this fucking, why did I go and get that fucking ultrasound? Mm. There's something. They found what they call a lesion. Of course, mm. I started Googling. Like with mum, yeah. I knew all about lesions. Of course. You know, that was the oh, whole language God, they the were language using. is so triggering. It was literally, there was longer processing time. So it was one week mm, no. between biopsy yeah. and getting the I results. I know what that week feels like because that was like when my baby's heartbeat was slowing down and they're like, you have to wait a week to check if it's dead. Mm-hmm. you're like, okay, good. Well, that's a year in my brain. And these are the humbling moments where you're like, nothing matters. Yeah, yeah. But <laughs> isn't know? that great? Because it really does. It's like they say flip a coin and then you'll know what you want. In mm. that week, you know exactly what you want. And that's just a healthy family. To ground happy, back in. Yeah, and I think that's good for you. I mean, great that it was okay because totally. that would have been a different story. But I love those moments because you just go, this is all that matters. Mm. I've got what matters if everything's okay, I'm the happiest person alive. And that's the thing is like, it sounds really cliche when you're like, just as long as we're healthy, but it means something different. Yeah. When people when, you love haven't been. Yes. And when you potentially aren't. Yes. And when you find out you are. Yes. And the gratitude. Whoa, the flooding I felt in my body. Mm. I sat like my beautiful GP. I was obviously an absolute mess. So I was waiting in the doctor's surgery and my mum's, one of her favourite bands was Simply Red. Mm. And I never hear it. It's been mm. like decades since I've heard it. I'm waiting in the waiting room, Simply Red song comes on. Oh my gosh. And so I'm like, it's, it's a okay. Sign. It's a sign. Because she wouldn't do that See, if this, it was bad news. This has been happening to me too. And you know, I don't believe in woo anything. Mm. But it's mega. It's, yep, dad sends me songs all the time at the right time. And I'm like, thanks, dad. Yes. yes. And she's a blowfly, which is like weird to say. What but does like, that mean? So... I really believe... Oh, like an actual blowfly. She comes mm, to visit you. Like in the moments where I've just spoken about her Mm. or I'm really thinking about her. Mm. But it's funny because before she passed, I was like, let's assume that you can visit. Mm. I think you will be able to. Yes. I want you to know that I'm all up for visits. And my sister's like, don't visit me. I'm like... (laughs) (laughs) Come to my house. Come to mine. And I was like, but if you only get like one chance, don't use it on me. Like use it on my little sister type thing. But so I think she gets unlimited visits Aww. because there's just this bloody blowfly Aww. that I only see in those times, but it's very like it will dong into my face or it'll dong up against She's the window. She's like, hi. Like it's me, I'm, yeah, here. I'm here. And then oh, the I other day, that. I know, it was so funny. Tony was like, this fucking blowfly. I'm like, it's mum. It's mum. Don't, don't get the more tea. <laughs> yes, it's mum. <laughs> and he's like, oh, I just trapped it in the window. I'm like, let no. her out. Yes. <laughs> oh, that's beautiful. You know what those funny things are like? He probably thinks I'm. Yeah. And you know what? Whatever you believe to make you feel connected. Absolutely. It's funny because as you know, I'm very just straight up. I'm not really into that stuff. But since my dad passed away, I'm much more spiritual. Mm. Like, I don't think he's gone to heaven. I don't really know, but he's around. I know he is. I think it's a portal. I think it opens. It does. Oh my gosh. And Alexander all the time, he would just be sitting there. You know, he was 10 months old when my father passed and he'll say, I miss Poppy. Mm. And we talk about him so much, so he knows. But I miss him. As I found those moments really heart wrenching. Mm. She'll just be here in the lounge room. She'll look over there and be like, "Nana." Oh. I'm like, "Oh God, is she here?" Yeah, because you know what they say like, "Oh yeah, that, kids can see stuff." Yeah, that veil he always is a says, "Poppy keeps me safe from the monsters," and I'm like, "Yeah, he does." Of course, that's me. Yeah. Or I'll be rocking her to sleep, and she'll be like, "Nana." Oh. I'm like, "Oh baby." I miss oh, Nana too. Yeah. And, oh, it's a lot. So anyways, I walked into, I heard that song. I thought, I think it's going to be okay. 
I walked into the room as soon as I got in there. She's like, oh my God, it's okay. Oh, I love that kind of GP. And she was just like, I really didn't want to be the one to have to tell you, you know, something wants two weeks after your mum's passed that mm. that's, that's, it's all good. And it ended up being a cyst that collapsed yeah. in the biopsy. I'm right. Like, why don't they tell you that? I know. Tell me at the moment. Well, they did at mine, luckily. Like oh. I was there for hours, but they were like, okay, you know, you need to keep an eye on this and we want you to come back every six months, but you're okay. okay. And I was like, oh, I think they could feel my energy because I was just wide-eyed <laughs> like, tell me, tell me, tell me. Um, I ended up seeing my mum's um, breast specialist mm. to get, I'm going to get the gene testing. Test, good. Because Bracket my mum was never actually tested. Mm. And Knowledge is power. I know well, this it's is scary. But- and she said to me, It'll go one of two ways. Mm. You'll find out and you want to do something about it mm. or you'll find out and you won't. Yeah, you'll and be that- incredibly relieved or you'll be empowered to make the next move. Exactly. Um, but one good tip she gave me, which I thought was relevant to share, is to um, check your boobs. Oh, now I'm going to get it wrong. I shouldn't even say it out loud in case <laughs> I get it wrong. Just check your boobs, everyone. Well, check your boobs once a month, obviously, but mm. look up like how to properly do it yes. to make sure you're doing they it. They taught me that at the mammogram place up, too. Yep, down, they said in stand the up, put your arm up, do this. And I was like, oh, I don't really know how to do that. Um, but anyway, I will find out and get it right and try and put it in the edit notes. But it was to check them. I think when... Oh. Beaming in with the accurate information, Dr. Mack recommended that women check their breasts once a month and preferably during their period because this is when our breasts are typically the least lumpy. She also gave me a helpful pamphlet that outlines what's called the three-step breast check, shower check, bathroom mirror check for any surface abnormalities like changes in colour, size, shape, dimpling of the skin or a pulling in of the nipple, and then finally a lying down check. I've linked the guide in the show notes and I truly hope you hit that link. One simple thing we can do is just put a post-it note on our bathroom mirror to do the three-step check once a month. Funny last night, Alexander wasn't sleeping. He was in my bed and he's poking my boobs. He said, Mummy, what's in boobs? When will my boobs grow? <laughs> I was like, Well, and he's obsessed with becoming a girl. He wants a vagina. <laughs> a Every vagina. day he asks for a vagina. And I was like, When you're a, a big person, if you still want one, we can definitely make that happen. I want one now. And yeah, he wanted boobs last night. And I was like, Well, let's see how you feel when you're a bit bigger. But it's funny, Betty didn't sleep last night either. And I was yeah. like, Mummy's got to record Mommy, early. Oh, man, they know. They, they know. know. Um, so you just spoke about your beautiful dad, yeah. Um, who you lost in what year? Um, two thousand and twenty. Yeah, it was yeah. like the COVID year, it was wasn't the it? First, yeah, May. Mum, he died on Mum's birthday, mm. and we were in lockdown. We we're in isolation out at my brother's place, so there was nine of us living there because he, yeah. So at my baby shower, he got lost going to the place we um, he'd been a million times, um, and Mum was thought he had maybe dementia or something. So we sent him for some tests and that's when they found a bunch of tumours on his brain and he had radiation and then it, it was in his lungs. It was everywhere. And he passed away um, when Alexander was 10 months, so pretty much a year after. And it was the strangest thing because it was happening in COVID and through the drugs he was on, he was losing his mind and he thought that the t- we'd made the TV up. He was like, "This, there is no disease everywhere. 
like, you're saying that, so I can't go to golf. And we were like, Dad, we're not, we promise. Wow. And he's like, why is everyone living here? And we were like, because we can't come and see you. And we had to make that decision. Do we put him in hospital? But we couldn't have gone to see him. So that's why we chose palliative care at home, thankfully to my brother, who I can never repay because, yeah, um, and we nursed him until the day he died, all of us together. Um, <laughs> and it was the most gruesome, beautiful, like fucked up thing I've ever seen. Um, but had COVID not happened, I wouldn't be living with him and I probably wouldn't have been there the day he died. And like, I'm so thankful for that really weird year because nine of us in a house for three months was like absolute mayhem. (laughs) And I remember going to Woolies and there's no meat left. And it was like, what is this apocalypse? (laughs) Yeah. Um, and while he was dying. And so we weren't even really paying attention to COVID except for watching it on TV. You know, my brother lives on 35 acres. So we were relatively, you know, free to like do stuff, but it, you know, I was on mat leave. I had a baby. Rich was trying to work from out there. It was the weirdest (sighs) time, but it was the most beautiful thing Mm. because we all got to be together. Um, yeah, and that was, you know, it'll be three years in May. Wow. And it was awful. It is so awful. Mm. I'm sorry. Well, I'm sorry for you as well because it's like I think you can picture it, but until you're in it. Yeah. You just, you just like we were saying before, like Rich's father passed away a few weeks ago and he said to me, I'm sorry, I wasn't there for you the way you needed. Oh. And I said, you didn't know. And now this is the gift you'll give someone else when one of their parents yeah. passes away because you can only give someone what they need when you have first-hand experience, experience. Of it. Because especially when they're sick and you know it's coming and you think, okay, well, then they passed away and they're not in pain anymore and we'll have the funeral and then you kind of move on. It's not like that. It's the most earth-shattering pain that never leaves you. And parents are supposed to die. This is part of life. But as my therapist taught me, you know, 200 years ago, the grandparents lived with you. You had 12 children but two passed away. The grandparents died in the home. So death was sad but experienced and now it's sanitized we put people in homes we don't see it we don't talk about it and so we we're just so unequipped to deal with the one thing that's definitely going to happen um and i think also for us you know he wasn't in a hospital like we saw every moment and we yeah it, those last days were horrific they are oh goodness me like there was a moment so mum was in palliative, that beautiful sacred heart, mm-hmm. like our health system. Oh, honestly, I just angels. Thought, I can't. And she she had <clears throat> the best breast surgeon, Dr. Cindy Mack, through Chris O'Brien Lifehouse, free. Wow. Like We're so this lucky. brand new hospital. Yeah. She had this corner room when yeah. she had a mastectomy. It was just the care I just... You know, and I know we so pay the mastectomy obviously didn't work. Like, the, sorry, no, that sounds insensitive. Was they took the boob off and they cleared the lymph nodes in the um, underarm. She was like, the surgeon was like, 
oh, we got it. We, we're confident yeah. we got everything. And so we were like, Yay. Mom, oh, my goodness. And then two months later mm. she called me in extreme pain on her side mm. and I took her to emergency and we eventually found out it had already spread to her liver. Mm. So, and even when I saw the, her breast sur- surgeon recently, she was like, your mum didn't have the type of cancer that we would do a PET scan for because she never had a full body scan right. after the mastectomy. Right. And that's my one regret is like, <sighs> why didn't, I didn't know, but why didn't I push to be like, so you just clear a lymph node and you assume it's gone, yeah, but, but shouldn't like, we put her in the machine I and know. see? And that's with my GP, I'm always like, I've got an ache in my toe. Put me in the machine. Like I want, I'm like, yes. do everything. And he's like, you need to calm down. And I was like, no, I want, and it's well, the anxiety said, from my dad. Yeah. Because like, he started I as a melanoma know. on his ear. Whoa. He had half of his ear removed, but it had traveled to his brain, traveled to his lungs, traveled all through his body. And it was a melanoma. And oh. people wonder why I'm so passionate about, about sunscreen. Yeah. You know, I would argue with him. He'd wear it on his face, but he played golf every day and never put it on his ears. No one puts it on the top of their ears. The put ears. it on your ears. The ears. You know, it's not just about vanity. I mean, it, sunscreen will make you look young, but it'll save your life. Yes. And that's it. So, like, push for the scan, you know. Oh, and I, she said to me, yeah, we don't, we just don't do PET scans with that type of yeah. cancer, but she said all I can assume, because she said I'm really surprised to see your mum's past, mm. and she said all we can assume is that it had already travelled potentially right. through the blood yeah. beforehand. And this is the thing is my beautiful mummy, like, How she old was knew. She? Um, she was 64. So young, yeah. My, oh, no, my dad was 75. But she yeah. had breast cysts all of her life, mm. but there was one cyst that she had told me didn't because I used to go up and down and mm. it didn't go down. Mm. And was that it? And I booked her a, ma- a mammogram, but she had really bad anxiety having had a really painful mammogram decades yeah. before and when would they never were do it again. Awful. And so she cancelled the mammogram mm. that morning and I was like, well, I can't force yeah. you there type yeah. thing. And then not long after we, I distinctly remember we were in the car going antique shopping and she was like, you know that breast cyst? And I was no. like, yep. She's like, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't think it's a cyst. Oh, but God. by that point it had done... Um, like nip, nipple had inverted, orange peel skin. Oh God! So very yeah advanced. Yeah, oh, it goodness. was quite big. So um, but those final days, so she went into um palliative mm. for it was about twelve days in the end, maybe fourteen days. Just the um feeding her custard. Mm. They're just these moments where you're like. Like I just fed fed my baby. Yeah, I know. And now I'm here feeding you. Yeah, and I'm the grown up in the middle, and I'm have to hold it together for everyone. I can so relate to that, and, and I'm just so her sorry. Face of like, she couldn't talk at that point, but I could see in her eyes. Like, yeah, the vulnerability, and she probably felt shame because she didn't want you to be looking after her. It's funny because my mum's not particularly well either, which is another very hard thing to talk about. She was in hospital a few weeks ago and when I went in and she couldn't get up to shower and so I took all her clothes off and I gave her a sponge bath, you know, everywhere and she looked at me and she said, isn't life funny how it goes full circle because I used to wash your bum? And and I just thought I don't want to be this grown up. I don't want to. To have to do all the responsible things. I want my mum. And luckily she's out of hospital now, but she's not well. I'm so um, sorry. And she's right, though. It does go full circle. And she washed me as a little baby and I washed her as an elderly woman. And 
it's such a joy and a privilege and she's, you know, in her late 70s and this is how life goes but it's just not fair. I know. It's just not fair. And, again, I think on some level you can kind of forecast forward and you can put yourself there but when you're in the room and in that moment when you've got the sponge cloth on her back Mm -hmm. or I'm putting the custard into her mouth and she can't tell me if she wants more or not, you know what I mean? It's just that I just don't think you can ever prepare yourself for Mm. that moment. And I remember you saying, must have been on Instagram, but that you held some regret that he was in the next room. Yeah. But you were sleeping. Yeah. And I read that before she passed actually, I Mm. think, or after, but she always, always said, because I think in the end she was sick for two years, she said, I want to go on my own with the nurse Mm. in the middle of the night. Mm. Don't do the death run. Mm. Don't come. Just Mm. let me do it how I want to do it. So the morning she died, I went there with an assumption that I would just be kind of saying goodbye again. Yeah. Keep going back to say goodbye again. And I got there at 9.15 and she died at 9.50. Wow. And were you in the room? And I was in the room. Oh, God. And I didn't expect to be, but now she gave me that moment. Yeah. And she trusted me. To be there. To be there and to be able to handle that. And I... Remember thinking about you because to know that he was just there. Yeah. But that you had said goodbye. It's hard because you don't know until you know. So dad was in a palliative bed that had like a machine that moved the mattress around and their legs and stuff so that they don't get bed sores next to mum in their bed in one of the rooms at my brother's house. And He'd gone to bed. He'd been up in his wheelchair for a lot and then he'd, he'd gone to bed on the Saturday and he never got out uh, and he died on the Tuesday morning. And it was, I think, the Sunday night. He couldn't really speak by then. We were all just sitting around his bed chatting and he turned and he looked at mum and he held her hand and he said, I love you. That's <laughs> the last thing he said to anyone. And then you don't know when it's going to be and the palliative people would come every day. And my brother lives out near Wiseman's Ferry. They would drive the nurses every day and dad was abusive and awful because of all these drugs and his brain was eating itself. And and then we went to bed and I said to my brother, you know, it's going to be soon and, you know, my brother would go in every few hours and clean him up because, you know, they're foaming at them. Like it's just awful. And my brother went in at 2am and then I woke up at 4 and I went out to my brother who's still on the couch and I said, I... I think something's happened and he was like, I was just in there a couple of hours ago and he and I went in and dad was still warm but he'd obviously just passed away and my brother and I will never forgive ourselves for not being next to him but then people tell me that people choose choose to go. They choose and I can, if it's any comfort, I know that's a fact because I experienced it firsthand. She waited Mm. and her waiting was like it was a holding on if I've ever seen one before. Yeah. And there was a moment where she looked at me and she drew a breath. Yeah. And she she said this is Yeah. I hope that. I hope he didn't feel lonely. I mean, mum was next to him in the room but she was sleeping and so and my brother and I just held each other by his side for about ten minutes and then – I woke mum, my brother went and woke my sister and my, his wife and, um, you know, they had two young girls. Well, they're still young but, you know, 
nine and whatever, you know, and I work rich and the baby. And also what it's wild what happens when someone dies at home because there's a dead person in your house and the police have to come first before wow. they can take him away to verify that there was no malpractice. So we were sitting with him for hours, which was beautiful and weird. Um, and the funniest thing happened because after the police came and verified his death, then they have to take him past the GP who also has to verify the death Whoa. on the way to wherever. And then the funeral people came and I was, I said, oh, we want his wedding ring. And they said, oh, that's going to be quite hard to get off because – Whatever. It was really tight on his fingers. And I said, well, cut his finger off. And they were like, pardon? And I was like, well, he's gone now. We want his ring. Cut his finger off. And they're like, we can't do that. And then they were shocked and then the whole family was hysterical. And I was like, right? Like, we don't need his finger. Yeah. Anyway, at the funeral, the guy, and it wasn't a funeral. It was 10 people. It was COVID. It was so undignified, not what he deserved. It was 10 of us. My cousins who drew, drove down my dad's sisters had to sit outside no. And they almost didn't let Alexander in because he was the 11th person. I'm like, he's 10 months old. Anyway, the funeral guy came out and said, we got the ring. And I was like, you cut it off, didn't you? And he's like, no, I didn't. And it's the weirdest humour and yeah. it's it's a really beautiful time. It is. And it's dark. Weird. But it's-, it's the moment he died. Like 15 minutes later I went online and bought a whole set of fry pans. I have no idea why. I feel it. I have no idea why. I feel it. It's just it's so obscene. bizarre. It's just so bizarre. But, it's, you know, as hard and hurtful as it is, I'm so appreciative because that changed my life. Uh, the things yeah. that matter to me, the things that don't, you know. I am quite materialistic. I love shopping. I love things. But I know they don't matter. Mm-hmm. What matters is my husband, my baby, my mum, my sister, you know, having fresh food and, health, you know, health and where we live, like that's all that matters. And There's a different death, um, intention and why behind the purchasing. I think you understand. Yeah, I don't why, care. Like exactly. I want it, but I don't need it. And if I can afford it, I'm not going to get myself into debt. But like it's, I don't, you know, I don't know. It's just, it's changed everything. And I have to thank him for that because now Same. I know what matters. The big thing for me is <clears throat> all of this kind of self and spiritual study I've been doing for the past five years it's hard to say this out loud. You know how you just never want to make it about you. Yeah. But at the same time, I'm like, I needed I needed to be able to put the knowledge into practice. Yeah. Yeah. In some ways I have been able to, but I need this has gifted me a a very rich experience mm. where I can ground down into what I believe and mm. know that mm. this is true for me. Yes. Because in the moment it yeah. mattered. It's confirmation. Yeah, versus it's just this thing that I kind of think I yes. believe. Yeah. And now I'm like, oh no, it's an embodied yeah. belief. And yeah. so that's been the other gift of that's like beautiful. Sometimes we need material. Yeah. To work with in this human life. Yes. You know, and for sure. That's what life was her about. intention. I don't know, but it's still um, very fresh for you. Oh, fuck, it's fresh and just an honour. Yeah, it is an honour. I know I it's know. with just Richard's dad honor. passing, I just, and that brought up so much. And, you know, they were in Melbourne. I wasn't particularly close to his family, but seeing someone you love so dearly hurt mm. so bad. Like I went and picked him up from work when we found out and that night when I would wake up, I just felt the bed like shaking because he was like, silently crying and I just thought I want to take that away from you because I know I've been that I can't you've got to go on your own journey yeah but I'll be there for you but it's it's it is a gift and it's 
the shittiest, the shittiest gift you could be given. Tony's Mr. Positivity. Yeah, yeah same <laughs> as Rich. And there was a moment a couple of days after she passed where we sat here and I looked at him and I said, I need you to let me not be okay. Yeah. You know, I need you to stop saying, like, it'll, it'll be, be okay. okay. Yeah. It's like, it's not. Yes. And it's okay that yes. it's not. Oh, so God, just yeah. Come, women, come in with me. Be women are it. better at that though. Yeah. You know, a week later it's just like, I've processed it. And I was like, you're a robot. <laughs> Mate, women, you're dissociating but cool. Yeah, exactly. Let's talk in six was, months. Yeah, well, I'm still processing. <laughs> but I get it. But like we were saying before offline, you know, you can't fall apart. You have a toddler or a baby. Seriously, and I remember, you know, I was like, Rich, take the baby. I need a nap because I'd been crying for whatever. And then a few hours later, I'd be like, can you take the baby now? It's like, not really. Not My really. dad died yesterday. Yeah. Can you just take the baby? Yes. <laughs> but now he's like, oh, I get it. And in some ways I was sharing with Tony that Betty is kind of my gift because she is my special Christmas present I get to wake up to every morning. Yeah. But for my sisters. Mm. You know, they're obviously processing it in their own way and we've been really private and that's been my dance. Yeah. It's like part of the way I you process are very is private. sharing. But I've had to turn the dial down yeah. to respect other people in my life yeah. and that's been tricky territory for I me. I get that too because I'm a huge sharer and obviously my family don't even really know what social media is. Um, but also it's your do- I think you need to do what's right for you. I know. And I did because I spoke about it with Zoe mm. Um in last month's episode and I did text them just to say, listen, I have shared because I never put a social media post no, up. No, you haven't. But, that, yeah. but they did in their own ways. Ways, yeah. Um, and just a bit of a trigger warning, you know, that yeah. it's out. It's going to be out there. Yeah. Um, and this is actually the most, with you, the most detail I've gone into. And mm. they were like, thanks for the heads up. We're not listening. I thought, okay, like p- the – the wounded in a child went, oh, oh, yeah. Don't you think my work is worth? Yeah. Don't you want to hear my? Uh, uh, uh. And I thought, oh no, yeah, you are so entitled to yeah. your own experience of this, and having it out in public forum in this way is not your choice. Yes. But I have found that dance quite difficult. In that, I would like to crack open. I'm feeling the need to crack yeah. open, and and be in it in my way. But there's other people that involved. Yeah, I get that. It is yeah. a dance, isn't it? And it'll happen in its time and not all yeah. at once. And it's, yeah, my brother despises social media. He's like, I don't understand what you do. You sell things on the internet. And I was like, sort of. <laughs> and the other, he's up in Queensland and the other week he took some of dad's ashes to scatter at dad's favourite beach in Queensland, which he did. And I was like, can you send me a photo? He's like, why? And I was like, because that's part of dad. And he's like, do you want to put it on Instagram? And I was like, no. But even if I did, you know, I'd discuss that with you because it's an important part. But I get it. Like everyone has very different ways of doing things and privacy. Yeah, so what are our stories to tell? Yeah, exactly. Um, Let's get the fuck off this topic. Okay, agreed. Okay, I'd like to move on. I just cut all my makeup off and I've got a big day. (sighs) I wish I could say I had some for you, but like I said, no one sends me anything anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Alison Larson-Rice is very uh, influential. Send her foundation and mascara. (laughs) Uh, It's actually been um, – Obviously, saying this as a real example of my privilege, it's been really good and refreshing not to have that other part of work that is unpaid. Yes. And is wonderful in so many ways, Mm. but can often feel like a massive 
burden. Yes, it's feel uh, obligation. Obligation, I obligation. guess that's a much better word. Yes. It's just you want to support these wonderful people and brands and mm. But then at the same time, for me, it's like, no, I want to, I want to share my work. Yes. Yeah. And so if you I'm, want it to be genuine and selective, the, I get it. So in some ways, having had that taken away is a really good thing. Mm. I don't think I play a very key role for brands in that way anymore. I don't think that. I think it depends on the brands. Everything that you share, I know is genuine and it's in your field. And I, I've bought things that you've shared. The you incense. Share I mean, semi-incense. That's definitely in my... I'm not an incense, I must say, but you <laughs> share beautiful small businesses and, you know, slow fashion and all that sort of stuff. And I love that. Like yeah. you, the cardigan you're wearing, as soon yeah. as you went to Vinnie's, I was like, oh my God, I'm going to Vinnie's. I got the coolest boiler suit, Yay! like Subi boiler suit from Vinnie's. It's so cool. Did and you, you inspired me. Did you go me. Bondi Beach? No, I go I there sometimes. There. No, Randwick. Rand, Randwick's a... Um, like an untouched, I can't believe I'm Why telling everyone this. That? I know. I be, I'm going to go there after this and buy everything. But you influence me in, in ways all the time. Well, that's really And it's sweet. genuine. Um, I, was, I wanted to ask you about the sandwiches, but I feel like we've well, kind of discussed yeah, we that have, now. Like, yeah. But I just thought that was an interesting, I've never felt more seen in a moment. Yeah. Where I was like, oh, my God, that's what this is. Yeah, is. so Mia gave me that term. We were talking at, in the office when... Richard's dad was sick and everything, and she said, oh, you're in the sandwich generation. And I was like, I do love a sandwich. And she was like, no, no, you're caring for elderly parents and young children and you're the grown-up and you've got to hold it together. And I was like, there's a name for There's it. a name. And we're in it. And it, I think this is the prime of life. And I don't mean that in like, I mean that in every sense, like fun but responsibility and financial worries and career and kids. Like this is all happening and it's amazing, but sometimes I just want, you know, like I, when Richard's dad died, I just wanted my mum. I went out to my mum. Like yeah. Rich went down to Melbourne straight away. We didn't go, Alexander and I didn't go because we don't have anywhere to stay down there. And he was running around organising the funeral. So we stayed in Sydney that weekend while he sorted everything out. But I just wanted my mum. Yeah. And then I was like, oh yeah, I'm the grown up though. Like, <laughs> oh. yeah. And my mum said, I always, she said, I always want my mum. She wants her mum. And that will never leave. Yeah. Yeah. I we do. keep going back to this same I know. topic. <laughs> it's so hard. I think that's just like the Well, it's what's happening in our lives behind in. closed doors. Yeah. You know, and all the other stuff's really interesting, I think, but it's actually not what we're yeah, moving through. It's not our real life. Exactly. Yeah, necessarily. And I'll, what I'll finish on is, you know, I always pictured and my mum had always said that she just wanted me to have a baby so that she could just have the baby, you know mm, what I mean? And, yeah. And be nana and have yeah. lots of like babysitting days. And how days old was and, Betty when your mum passed? Um, well, so she would have been like 21 months, 20 months. Okay. Um, but when I had Betty, mum had been, so so I fell pregnant with Betty a couple of months after mum was diagnosed. Mm-hmm. And so I never really let myself fully celebrate Betty because I was preparing for mum's death. I can relate. And I, just that postpartum experience of not having my mum there, but her being here, Mm. but not actually being able to help me or support in the way that I know she wanted to. Yeah, the the nana that she wanted to be. Exactly. Like Mm. that was really heartbreaking. I think it just, I kind of assumed because we moved her to Bondi for reasons other than us having a baby, it was not safe where she was. And so needing to get back into work, paying our rent, paying her rent, like Mm -hmm. a lot. 
And then all of a sudden I said to Tony, oh, my God, I've got a business, a baby and a sick mum, mm. two lots of rent. This mm. is not – I thought this was my kind of village. Yeah. I thought I was building it right yeah. and actually I'm still – My village is crumbling around me. Everything. <laughs> yeah, I can um, relate. And I share that just to sort of a big hug to any woman listening who either doesn't know their mum, wasn't with their mum, mm. their mum passed or their mum was sick. Is mm. like it's a really different experience of postpartum. Yeah, when it's not them. Yeah, I get, I get it. It's you different because I think I had a boy, and mm. it was my dad. But I also think I had a boy because my dad was sick. Yeah, you know, it just—he's so much of my dad. Mm. It's beautiful. Brillo, Brillo, <laughs> Brillo, another baby. My baby has recently been born. Brillo Beauty. Oh my goodness. Um, I kind of feel like where to start with this, but. Tell, tell us what it is. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So it's a pregnancy and postpartum body care range, six products. My girlfriend, Tegan, I was close acquaintances with her. I met her through her husband, who I'm very good friends with. And then she became the co-host of my parenting podcast with me, This Glorious Mess. And we became extremely close. Where I love how you just bring people into the work. Then all of a sudden there's these like legit <laughs> <She's> just, <laughs> influences. Seriously, like she just is hilarious. She's got three kids in the one year because she did IVF. The egg split. She got twins. She had Stop. sex after postpartum at a wedding and fell pregnant. Stop. <laughs> yeah, Irish twins. Uh, Irish triplets, they call them. Um, she's mad, but, well, she didn't really have a twist. Anyway, 18 months ago she owns Bump Day Spa. There's one in Brisbane, two in Sydney expanding, and she said to me, she said to me for years, she's an excellent businesswoman, you need to do your own thing, you need to do your own thing. And I'm like, no, I like getting paid by the man, I'm scared. Um, and she came to me 18 months ago and said, I'm doing a pregnancy and postpartum range there's nothing out there that's, and no disrespect to the other brands, but they're all very sort of beige and white and mum on a beach. 100%. And, da, da, da. and that, that's lovely. But she was like, what about, you know, the teachers and the lawyers and the, you know, let's add some colour and, it, you know, it can be all beautiful natural ingredients, but it doesn't have to go, you know, look like a leaf. Anyway, <laughs> yeah. I said, no, I can't. And then three days went by and it's not, it was the only thing I could think about. And I was like, oh, fine, I will. So Was that because you didn't want to regret not doing it? Yes. Yeah. No, I didn't want her to succeed and yeah. me not, and me, her get rich. Anyway, <laughs> no, I just thought it is such a gap in the market. There's not a lot of gaps in the beauty market. And there's so many beautiful um, pregnancy ranges out there. But I just felt like, yes, there's space for this. Yeah. And so we started the journey. We found our amazing formula formulators in Melbourne, our chemist, who serendipitously was a female who was pregnant at the time and so it just worked out perfectly oh God, so she's right in the thick of right like, and she's like wants oh, to get it right get for it. you yeah mm. she was amazing so we formulated these six products and it launched just a little while ago terrifying we bootstrapped the whole thing and I remember at the start saying let's both put this amount of money in and then we're like oh we need a bit more oh we need a bit more oh dear there goes every cent we've ever had um, wow but it's been amazing I'm so proud of us you know you're dealing with packaging brokers and getting shippers made and warehouse and fulfillment and all these things we had no idea. And a lot of these are middle-aged men, most of them lovely, some of them not thinking, oh, these two cute housewives from eastern suburbs. That's so sweet. Um, and I'm blown away by and the And you're response. like, have you met us? Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm like, no. Like there was a mistake. One of the manufacturers made a mistake and then, you know, between realising and whatever, the price of one of the materials had gone up. And I was like, no, that was your mistake. You will honour the original price. And they were like, oh. Okay, we will. And I was like, oh, I did it. I was a grown-up. I stood up for us. Um, 
And it's been the most incredible journey. And look, I really want to make my capital back. But at the end of the day, even if I don't, I'm so proud of myself for doing it. I've had so much fun on the journey and I'm not a journey person. Mm. I'm destination. I'm like, achievement, great. What's next? And I've had the best time and it's now out in the world and people are loving it. And we did this big, beautiful campaign shoot with pregnant and postpartum women so beautiful. of all different, you know, types. Yes, colors. because we did a lot of research and all the feedback was from pregnant women. I see size eight with a bump and sometimes it's a fake bump and that's all you see in pregnancy or you see a woman in a flesh bra and that's it. And so we put them in power suits and, you know, the different shapes and beautiful postpartum bellies and, you know, linea nigra and like what you look like when you were pregnant and yeah. postpartum. And I'm so proud of that. And the products are beautiful. Like even when I use them, I'm like, oh, my God, I'm so These proud of this. And I have a high standard. Because that's what I was going to say is as a beauty editor and expert, you have to hand on heart believe yes. that what you're creating Terrifying. doesn't exist. And that's yeah. what Tegan didn't get. She's the business side, but she's like, yeah, I like that formula. And I was like, no, we're, do- we're going another round. And she's like, why? It's a good product. I'm like, it's not, it's good. It's, it needs to be amazing. And she's like, okay, whatever. Do you just know when you know? About the, the formulation, yeah. Uh, yeah, but like the body butter, for example, that took us 14 rounds and that doesn't sound like a lot. Like sunscreen takes hundreds of rounds, but a body butter is like they're relatively simple formulas. It's a body butter, yeah. They're all very safe, exactly, and that took us 14 rounds because I wanted to get it exactly, like I wanted to be obsessed with it mm. and I'm so glad we did. So many times we nearly said, yeah, that's good. But I, I saw like, you no. said that thing about the packaging where yes. you nearly went with was that the manufacturers distinctly ma- different green. Yes. Yeah. Well, that was because we'd said matte, but we want we meant sandblasted. Like you're learning all these different terms, terms. and then you know the samples arrive, they take months, and I was like, nah. And Tegan, we were both like, nah. And they were like, oh, it's so similar. And we're like, no, it's not. Let's start again. But it's not what we want. Yeah. So we just pushed for it. And like, I'm just so proud of us. Like, mm. I'm so proud of Tegan. She's the business side. She has learned everything about the back end of shipping and bloody labels. And I mean, that doesn't sound hard, but it's actually quite complicated. Oh no, that's logistics and, the inventory and operations. And, yeah. And we're shipping everything, you know, we've got our own So warehouse. is that how you sort of thought about the business partnership is obviously you have a very distinct role in yes. well, we marketing naturally, brand formulation. Yeah. She's more operations. Yeah. She, we naturally are just completely talented in different areas and respect each other's differences. Occasionally we go head to head with a decision and then we just go, who's more passionate about this? Okay, you, yep, you make that call. Mm. And we haven't had any blow-ups. It's amazing because, you know, if we sit there and go, no, I think this, no, I think this, and then you go, okay, yep, I can see your side. I see your side. So far, Mm. you know, we now the fun has started that we're selling products. Like the hard work is now. From my years and years leading and now coaching, I've learned a lot about the true power of a team or having a business partner. But so many of the founders I've helped through various coaching and business development offerings are actually doing it alone. And this is not uncommon. And that's why I created Off, to give founders and brand builders and anyone who relates as a professional a conscious community to connect into and to feel less alone in pursuit of their dreams. If you think you would benefit from being in a community that offers you both professional advice and a stable and steady shoulder to rest your head on, please visit the show notes on my website and sign up for my mailing list. It's the first place I share any and all opportunities to join us. It's getoffline.co. Um, I was going to ask, you know, 
in my professional development space, there's lots of amazing women launching incredible brands. Mm. And I talk so much about um, the space on the other side of launch mm. can feel quite dense. Mm. It time can be consuming. a dark time where you spend all this time building and creating and conceiving. You launch and then you get on the other side and you're like, ugh. It's postpartum in a way. It is. It's postpartum. You've birthed the baby. You were so excited. It was building. It was growing. And then it's born and it's needy and there's glitches and it needs attention and things go wrong. And you're like, oh, wait, aren't I, don't I get to bask in the glory and just have an event? And it's like, no, we can't afford a launch event. That's yes. not going to happen. Um but I still enjoy all that stuff because it's for us. Mm. You know, we're picking and packing every order. Wow. And, you know, we were going to go with third-party fulfillment and we were like, no, we want to check every order, make sure everything looks fantastic. Not that those places don't do it, but we just... I think there's an experience when you've got the founder's hands on something. Yeah, yeah. Like we just care too much at the moment. And who knows, I hope we get too big to the point where well, we have it. to. But It'll at scale, the moment, you know, we've spent every cent. We have to save every cent. How have you... I think you have to be quite risk tolerant mm. to do something like I'm this. I'm not. Tegan is. There's no way I could do this on my own. I freaked out. Because I'm just like, how do you part with the life savings? Oh, no. I have had that many meltdowns and she is so good. She'll talk me off the ledge, but then occasionally she'll have a meltdown about something. I'll be like, babe, don't worry. We got it. I will do this. Or, you know, there was an error with something. I was like, oh, that, in the scheme of things, that's a small problem. I couldn't have done it alone. I think having a supportive business partner that has a different perspective and different skill set is amazing. And, you know, she came to me when we were still trying to have a second baby. And then I fell pregnant last year and I lost the baby in May and that's when we were doing the business stuff. And so then I was like, I don't know if I can do, do this. pregnancy and postpartum range. I want to get out of the pregnancy space, you know, but I've realized it's such a gift because it's, a, I can't go through it again personally, but I can through my business now stay close to that. And it's such a magical thing. And to see all these excited pregnant women mm. and new babies and on the shoot, you know, one of our shoots, the woman came from the hospital with her fresh baby Get to the shoot. Out. The baby hadn't even had a bath yet. Get and it was out. just like so cool and joyous. And as much as my heart's like, oh, I really want that. But like, this is my way of still mm. getting to be involved. So it's it's kind of serendipitous in a way, even though at one point I was like, oh, well, I'm, this is hurting. Yes. But now that I'm fine. I'm feeling a bit of a mothering the mothers. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And I just get to stay playing in such a joyous, mm. like fragile, awesome female or, you know, baby bearing people yes. place. I suppose you're thinking about as well, having been through what you've been through, how this range serves all stories. Yes. Because I think a lot about those days and weeks after my miscarriages, what's for us? There's nothing fucking mm. for us. We get the flowers. Amazing. That's yeah. so touching. But some part of us, it's like with the mum thing, you just want to be held. Yes. Or you just want to be nurtured or cared for and we're still bleeding. We're still. Yes. And everything becomes about the baby. And that's why there's not a lot of postpartum products. That's why we did. I did the, I was really passionate about the wash and the lotion, which are two beautiful products that you can take to the hospital, gentle and effective body wash and, um, moisturizer, but a completely fragrance free. Cause I remember looking for, you know, the baby's bonds with your scent. It can't see yet. And so, so many people would say to me, what's a nice gift I can give a mum a body wash to take to the, to the, you know, fourth trimester. And I was like, well, you know, you've got your QVs and all that sort of stuff, mm. which is lovely, but there wasn't anything that I could find that I, was beautiful for me in my bag. And the mother I was becoming, and I'd just birthed myself, you know, 
and I wanted something special and pretty, but fragrance free. And mm. that was really hard to find. So they're my two favorite products, the, the wash and the lotion. Because I know the body butter has the fragrance. Yes. It? So the body butter, the magnesium spray and the oil has a very faint um, scent that we developed with a fragrance expert that's Ooh. through essential oils. I was like, I want jasmine. And then they were like, you can't afford jasmine. I was like, I want jasmine. <laughs> so we formulated it with jasmine. And I was like, how much is that? And they're like, that's $5 extra per product. I was like, I don't want jasmine anymore. Back to the drawing board. <laughs> jasmine stinks. But, you know, I can't stand love. Lavender. She couldn't mm. stand lemongrass. And lavender is very, very kind of nighttime yeah. woo. It's just not us. So it's this beautiful sort of very faint, earthy kind of uplifting. There's, it's not very obvious, and that's Ooh. in three of the products. And then the balm, which you can put on your nipples, even on your baby's bits, and the wash and the lotion are completely fragrance free because they're for postpartum. And, but you can anyone can use them, like as long as you. Well, I guess that's the other thing, isn't it? It's like you're marketing to that. Yes, but really, nowhere on the products does it say ah. pregnancy or postpartum. On the back, it just says tested on mothers, never on animals. But obviously, we're marketing to that. But they're just beauty, beautiful Australian made. Body care products. Mm. So you launched yes. through pre-orders. Yes. How are you measuring success? Like, do we have? Do we say this is a success? Yes. Yeah. Only. Well, this is Tegan. You know, she's like spreadsheet forecasting. We need to make it's this. Like my colleague Lucy. I'm like, sweet. Just tell me what to write. Yeah. What image to create? Yeah. yeah. I'm like, oh, we got a nice message, and she's like, okay, we're forecasting. You know, far out exceeded our pre-sale forecast, which Woo-hoo! is fantastic. And now we're shipping out orders. Like pre-sales done. Um, yeah, and everything's on track from a business perspective, but more to me is just like a happiness accomplishment, great feedback perspective. It's just like I feel the closing so of that loop good. Must feel like yeah, it's so exciting. Like it's still really scary, but in our first week, Adore Beauty and the Iconic both asked to stock us. Stop, which was so flattering. But what does that mean? Is that something that is that like a natural yes, or is that no, like, no. not for us? We're DTC, so we're following a direct to consumer. Um, formula. We're launching into one exclusive retailer in February. Um, But we just wanted to be direct to consumer for the first few years, really, you know, we've got more products in the, in the pipeline. And we just really wanted to be in control of that. I love those two retailers, but that's not us. We didn't want to get lost in a sea of thousands. Yeah. Now, who knows, it might happen down the track, but we don't plan to be bricks and mortar at the moment. We're online, we're gifting you know, it's really a gifting brand. You don't have a lot of retention in pregnancy, but things come yeah. in. Yeah. And that worried me at the start. I said, you know, we won't have repeat customers. And Tegan's like. Lots of new customers. So. Yeah. And that's Tegan said, I've got bump day spas and we're always booked. There's so many pregnant people. And my mum sent me a link the other day. She's like, look, the post-COVID baby boom, that's good for Brillo. And I was like, yes, go people, make babies, make babies. Mum on the strategy. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I can't make one, but if you can all make them. Um, um, so it's an interesting market to play in. Yeah. Because there's not a lot of retention, but. I'm learning so much and I'm just having the best fun doing something for myself, which I was so scared to do. Reminds me of that. Um, it's just really on the strategy side, there's two ways to grow a business. One is to um, reach more customers, new customers, mm-hmm. and the other is to increase the order value of the customers you have. Mm. And I guess it's like you just know you're going to have lots of new in the door. Yes. Without so much that desire to have to have them be these lifelong customers. Correct. It just and serves that's them fine. in a chapter. Like we're like welcome to this part of your life. And when you're done, you're yes. done and good luck. And you might have another baby, but hopefully you love the products and you recommend them and buy them for your sisters and your friends. And but what I've been blown away is so many supporters have just been like, I'm not pregnant. I'm 60. I just wanted to support you. Like and I gave you the magnesium spray. My husband and Tegan's husband actually 
have been through that many bottles. When we had samples, I was like, stop using the samples mm. because it's just a beautiful magnesium spray. It's one of those things where once you discover a magnesium spray or magnesium lotion mm. and you use it before bed, mm-hmm. I mean, it's, I don't know, it works. I don't it know why work. it works. I mean, I guess it's, I'm not really into yeah. it. I use it occasionally, but I'm, I don't know. Rich has this ritual when he goes to bed. He mm. loves it and people love them. And it's really high quality. The, the most amount of magnesium we could put in there before we had to go to TGA. So it really does work for aches and pains. Mm. And and I remember in pregnancy, I had the worst restless legs, didn't sleep. And so, and I used one in pregnancy, absolutely. Um, but yeah, that's been our bestseller, actually, the spray. And I'm mostly from non-pregnant that people. That doesn't surprise me. It surprises me. Yeah. Because once you are onto it, yes. that's like a, you yeah, just keep buying true. that it's thing. Yeah, it's true. It's like It becomes a bit toothpaste. of a sleep aid for yeah. a lot of people as well. Yeah. Um, before we wrap up, what is your kind of highest vision for the business and the brand? <sighs> this is what we don't agree on. I want it to get big and I want to sell it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Tegan wants, well, I mean, it's been live for like three seconds. I don't know yet. I have to find where it's going. You know, I've enjoyed the journey much more than I thought I would, but I would like to for it to be successful and, you know, perhaps sell it eventually. I think, you know, brands like Glossier should have left at the height of the party. <laughs> You know, there's a lot of brands that should maybe do that, but I hope it has longevity. I hope that people continue to love it. We're all innovate and add more products. Um, You know, we might do a baby range. Mm. You never know. Um, I don't know yet, but I'm really Mm. enjoying finding out. I just want my money back at the moment. I think that's (laughs) the thing is so if you ultimately, if you made back the capital you put in, Yes. You've had the experience of having done it. And that's it. When we decided to do it, it was COVID and we were like, that's okay. And then the awful thing happened in the Ukraine, which is absolutely horrific and pales in comparison to our problem, but a lot of our raw materials are from the Ukraine. And then, um, you know, the inflation, we're going Mm. into a recession. So we're like, oh, cool, cool. Yeah, everything's going great. (laughs) (laughs) So if I make my capital back, I can breathe because, Mm. you know, we've got two mortgages, both have gone up significantly. So there's financial stress, absolutely. But at the same time, I believe in it. I think we'll be okay. You know, we're not expecting an overnight miracle and we're having so much fun. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, my final question. Oh God, I'm scared. Has changed. Oh, yeah. I don't know if you remember. The of first course, one. I do. As the podcast has evolved, when you're sitting in your true self, how do you define success? Uh, I think it's. Uh, it's probably the same as what I said last time. I can't remember, but it's just being happy with who I am and how I conduct myself? Was I kind? Was I thoughtful? Do I have what I need, which is my family? Do I do what I can for other people? And, you know, you know, that might be a charity donation or, you know, dropping off food to, you know, checking in on people. And sometimes I'm bad at that. I'm busy. But for me, success is getting all the balls relatively flowing. A flush. Dropping, yeah, <laughs> dropping a few, but keeping the important ones in my hands when I need it. That's success to me. Career, it doesn't really matter to me anymore. Mm. I mean, it matters, but not the way it did. And I think that's from losing dad and having a child. Success is just like, this is Kylie Jenner just realising stuff. You know, that quote Mm. she said, it's just realising what matters, which is not much. Yeah. And that's success to me because I'm successful. Mm. I've got everything I ever need. And yes, I still want a Chanel boy bag, medium (laughs) gold hardware. (laughs) But I don't need anything. Mm. I don't care about much, you know, not 
not the small stuff really doesn't bother me anymore because mm. I've seen the big stuff. And so I know I'm successful in my heart. It's mm. so nice. Like, can we just wake up and be happy with the person we were today yeah. or uh, who we're going to be today? And it took me a long time and I am that most days, mm. even though my anxiety tells me otherwise. otherwise. But I tell it to go away, take a pill. <laughs> take a bloody pill, a chill pill, literally. <laughs> exactly. Um, it's a real, I mean this, it's a real honour to sit down with you because mm, I know you. you give me parts that. I don't give anyone else. <laughs> and um, I gave you my mascara. <laughs> I know. And for me on the waterworks. So I just really appreciate it. Mm, thank you. you. Like, I love yourself emotionally. And, and I love what you do. And I'm so glad that you found your space and you were always destined for this, even though you were boss bitch power suit high heel wearing woman when we got to know each other yeah. and now the incense is burning <laughs> but thank you for having me it's an honor to be on here because I know that you choose guests that you know you mm. really want to have on so thank you pleasure oh, I get nervous so now where I'm like good. do I just press this button oh god don't ask me can I wait Thank you for joining us for this episode of Offline. If something I said today landed deeply in your body and felt true, I want to encourage you to move into intentional action. Visit getoffline.co and consider signing up to my mailing list. You'll receive conscious career love notes from me, invitations to learn with me, and much more. One last thing. If you know someone who would benefit from listening to Offline, please share it with them.